Well, the passage of scripture that we are going to study this morning is verses 5 to 10 of the first chapter of the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. So turn with me there. It's on page 989, if you're using one of our Bibles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to include a portion of last Sunday's passage in my reading. I'm going to start at verse 3 and go to verse 10. Um, we looked at verse 3 and 4 last week, but they're an integral part of what's happening in verses 5 to 10. So let me read now, beginning at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Now look at verse 5. It says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Paul is now going to discuss the justice of God. He's going to show us something about the justice of God that will help us as we go through difficulty or persecution. And you notice, you notice in verse 5, it says this. This is evidence. And you think, well, what is this? What are you referring to? Well, he's referring to what he just said in verses 3 and 4. Uh, he, he's saying, look in verse 3, he says, and you remember this from last week, your, your faith is growing abundantly. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So your faith is growing, your love is growing, but you're doing it all as you're being afflicted and persecuted. So you're enduring in and growing in love and faith under pressure. And he says, now this, this, that's what I'm talking about. This is the evidence. What is happening in their lives is saying something about God's justice. It's saying something about God's judgment. This is evidence that what God will do in judgment is the right thing to do. Look at verse 5 again. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. It's interesting, he says, that you may be considered worthy. That, that word considered is, it has the idea of being reckoned or counted as worthy. It's not the word that would be used to say that you were made worthy. It's not by your going, your endurance amid persecution did not make you worthy. 
it shows that you're counted worthy. Let me say it again a different way. The way that you are enduring shows that you're the right ones to be counted worthy. What is going on in your life is not earning you the reprieve from judgment, but it's showing that you're the right ones to receive the reprieve. You know, um, I don't know if any of you noticed, it was football season, and um, some people uh, uh, like to go to Philadelphia Eagles games. I don't know if anybody here is an Eagles fan. I saw someone shake their head. No, I don't want to go there. Yeah. I get that too. So let's say you're trying to get into a game. So you pay your money. There's a transaction of money. And then you get the ticket. And you go with your ticket to the, to the stadium. And you present your ticket. And you get into the stadium. That's happened to me. I've, I haven't gone to a regular season game there. But I've gone to two preseason games uh, of the Eagles. So I get the ticket. Show the ticket. And I get in. If someone asked you, what got you into the football game? And you said, well, the ticket did. Is that right or wrong? Well, it's yes and no. Yeah, you showed your ticket and you got in. But it was the transaction of the money that got you in the game. The ticket's just showing that the money changed hands and so you can get in. Let me tell you something. Jesus made the transaction for you. He bought the ticket with his life and then his death on the cross. And the ticket, as he's saying, Paul's saying here is, the ticket is, look at you. Even though life is tough, your love is growing, your faith is growing, you're enduring in your faith, you got the ticket. That's the ticket. But that didn't make you worthy to get in. What made you worthy to get in is what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Amen. By the way, those two, those two games I went to, somebody else bought the ticket and said, Hey, Pastor, you want to go to a game? I said, Sure. Because <laughs> they weren't on Sundays, those preseason ones. Yeah, there was some, something going on. I said, Sure. And so somebody else paid the price, but I got in. And so it is with you and Jesus and heaven. Amen? This, he says in verse 5, look at, look at your life. You're the real deal. You're not worthy of salvation in the sense of earning it, but you're worthy to be counted as among those who are the saved. And then look at verses 6 and 7. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as, as well as to us, meaning we're all afflicted in this together. It says, God considers it just to repay and to relieve. You see that? To repay and to grant relief. It's just. It's the right thing to do. And what is happening in your lives, he's saying to the Thessalonians, is supporting the justice of God. Now, I have to say that God's punishment, we have to remind ourselves that God's punishment is not like human punishment. He doesn't fly off the handle. He isn't ignorant of any of the details involved. He, doesn't, he, he isn't vindictive. 
There's no selfishness or flaw in his punishing. Notice the word that's used here in verse uh, 6 is the word repay. It says, indeed, God considers it just to repay. This has a certain connotation. What God is doing is what is appropriate. What the person exactly deserves. God's punishment is not overblown. It is precisely what the situation and the person calls for. There is a misunderstanding that is quite popular. That all sin is the same in the eyes of God. I think I understand why that error has gotten started, but why it persists, I'm not quite sure. Friends, you want to understand that the scripture teaches that there are degrees of punishment. People are punished exactly to the degree that they deserve, and not everyone deserves the same because not everyone sins the same. If you don't believe me, let me read to you one passage, just one. It's from the Lord Jesus. Now he's going to, he's going to, it's in it's found in Matthew 11, but here he's going to mention places. These are villages, towns. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And he goes on, he says, And you, Capernaum, see, these are places where Jesus was. Jesus himself was there. The Son of God was right there. And he, he in all of his love and in all of his glory and his goodness, was healing and doing miracles and teaching the truth. And, and unlike these other places he's mentioned, Jesus was never there physically. But here they are. He says, And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Do you get it? There's, there's, there's degrees of punishment. He's saying Sodom didn't have the Lord Jesus standing there teaching and performing miracles. But you do and you're, you're going your own way like they're going their own way. It's going to be worse for you in judgment. The way God is going to treat you, the Thessalonians, Paul is saying, and the way God is going to treat your persecutors in judgment day is different and that is just. That's what, that's what he's saying. That is just and right. Now you notice that there are two kind of groups of people, or not groups, but categories. There are those who are being repaid and those who are going to be relieved. He's got those two words, grant relief and repay. I want to ask three questions about those two categories of people. Who, when, and what? Who exactly are those that are going to be repaid? And who are those 
that are going to be relieved. And, and then when? When is this repayment going to happen? When is this relief going to happen? And then what? What does this uh, repayment, this punishment, what does it look like and what is the relief? Now there's more in answer to these questions than this passage gives us. And I will not try to give you the complete answers from the entire Bible. We don't have time for that this morning. But instead, let's see what answers we are given from this passage to those questions. So first, let's take first those who will be repaid or punished. Who, when, and what? Who are these people? Who are those who will be repaid? Well, it's already been mentioned uh, that it's those who are persecuting them. Up in verse 4, he's, he's referring back and forth to that, that it's these people that are bringing affliction on, on the people of God. But then he, he broadens it to explain it a little theologically a little bit later. Look at verse 8. Where he says, at the second part of verse 8, he says, those, he describes it, this is the people. He says, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's bringing this punishment on those who do not know God, on those who do not believe, or excuse me, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now those two phrases, they don't know God, they don't obey the gospel, those are two phrases describing the same set of people. They don't, it's two ways of saying it or expanding what it means. They don't know God, they don't, they don't obey the gospel. But there's something else uh, about them that you can catch by when he describes it the opposite, the other group. Look at verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. That's the other group. They've believed. So the people who are being repaid, there are three words that, that Paul's using to try to flesh out or expand the meaning of who are these people. The three words are to believe, to obey, and to know. But those are all meshed together. They, they, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't obey him. They don't know him. By the way, these three words, when they're put together like this, are describing the posture of a person's heart when he or she comes to know Christ, when they believe in Jesus Christ. It's believe and obey and know. The words believe and obey are not separated. They're put together. Every generation since Christ ascended into heaven for 2,000 years, every generation, and I must say, our generation is no exception, every generation has faced the threat of defining faith as merely agreeing with facts. They're, just, they're saying that to believe in Jesus is to assent to certain facts about him. Oh, yeah, okay, I, I agree. He's the son of God. Okay, I agree. He died on the cross for sinners. I agree. I agree with all of that. And you say, oh, the, these people said, great, you've believed. But that is not the full extent of faith. Built on top of that assent to facts 
is consent. It's a movement of your will in which you trust Christ personally and you establish the way you are going to relate to him. It is submission from now on, which of course means obedience. Now others would object and say, are you saying that your obedience to Christ somehow earns you salvation? And they're like, no, no, that's not what we're talking about at all. There is an element of submission in saving faith. Do we grow later and realize later other parts of our lives that we need to submit and surrender? Of course, of course. But there is no such thing as saving faith that doesn't have an element of submission in it. And so what's happening is these people that Paul's saying the, the, the punishment is coming on to them, they've, that's, never a, that's never been their case. They've never come to God and be, believing, ob, surrendering, obeying, and truly knowing him. That's never happened. That's who these people are. And you see, those who believe in Christ in that way, that's how they move from one category to the other. Is by that kind of believing. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, it describes how you and me, how we all start off. We're all in this one category. Listen, how it's described. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. See, that's where we were. This is my life. I was just walking along in my sins, my rebellion. But, but notice now, listen, how he describes it further. Following the course of this world, everybody else is doing it too. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. Following the prince of the power of the air. Well, I wasn't aware of that. But there was, Satan was in this picture pushing us all in this direction. I didn't realize it, but that's exactly what was happening. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a, there's a force working against us, stirring up disobedience in our own hearts. And it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our body. Because it says, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Sexual desires, food, desires for food, um, comfort and ease. We're just, the desires of the body, we're, we're walking in that, the desires of the mind. And it says, and we're by nature, by our very nature... Not merely by what we're doing, but it's this, what we're doing is coming from who we are, by our nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. It's a pretty bad picture. But that's us. He's talking to Christians when he says that. He says, this is what we were. This is, this is the category that we came out of. And then if you go on and read that passage more, he says, but God. Amen? But God in his mercy reaches down. God sends Christ and dies on the cross for us. And then he moves in us by his Holy Spirit to the point where we see that Christ is the answer to all this and we believe in him. We truly believe in him. That description in Ephesians is who we all are. The, the people that are being described here in 2 Thessalonians, that, that peace, that's who we all are, or we were, until we truly believe in Christ. So that's who, who will be repaid. Well, when? When will this punishment take place? Look at verse 7, second part of verse 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. 
Amen? When Jesus Christ comes back. Look at verse 10. When he comes on that day, Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? He is coming back. And when he comes back is the time he's set. That now he, this justice will be done. Some will find relief. Some will find repayment. Now what will this repayment, what will this punishment be? Again, there's more in scripture than this, but let me look at this. Just this passage. Look at verse 8. In, well, let me back up to halfway through 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and etc. There's that word vengeance, which has the idea of retribution. Again, it's not, it's not malice. It's not, um, it's not sadistic stuff. Or it's, it's justice. It's justice. Look at verse 9. Now here's where he gives us some more, some more words to help us think about what is this punishment like. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So in this passage we're seeing that, that there's a retribution there's, it's measured out as people deserve. But now in verse 9, he uses the word eternal. So this punishment is eternal. So we're not annihilated or taken completely away. We don't cease to exist. But there is eternal punishment. Even with what I said before, with degrees of punishment, it's still for all, it's eternal. And then it says... Away from the Lord's, away from the presence of the Lord. I think about Psalm 73, where it says, The nearness of God is my good. It's a special psalm for me. The nearness of God is my good. So now for eternity, the one who has not believed in Jesus Christ to find the escape route out of what, what you deserve, you will never forever be near to God. I think about the, that this is the God of love. This is the God who is love. His presence. This is the God of a generous heart. This is the God who wants to bless. This is the God whose nearness means he is helping. He's a helper. And you're away from all of that. Forever. And then it says there, and from the glory of his might. We will not be ever near his glory or his strength. Again in Psalm 73 it says, um, I think, my flesh, yeah, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart. Amen? He's my portion. And if, he were, if I were to never be in his, the presence of his might, never, forever, have no input 
from God into my life. No infusing of any strength into me. Any help into me. Even the person that hasn't believed in Jesus Christ. I look back at the time in my life before I put my faith in Christ. God was helping me then. I just didn't know it. Didn't acknowledge it. And all that, gone. Forever. So I want to say, even right now, to you who haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're not sure, do you understand what Scripture is saying? It's saying that you, for eternity, will be away from the love of God, away from His help, alone, separated from the goodness of God, Suffering forever and knowing within yourself that you deserve every moment of it. I, I, would, I would just plead with you. If you're not sure if you've believed in Jesus Christ as you ought, if you've never gone to Jesus Christ and trusted Him to, to let Him save you, friend, to let Him put on you all the benefit of what He accomplished on the cross when He was dying, go to Jesus. Amen? Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. And then we see... So that's those who will be repaid. How about those who are relieved? Look, look in verse 5 again. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Uh, well, I'm answering the question. Who? Who are these people? Who are they? Well, we've seen it already. This is the evidence. Meaning it's the people in verses 3 and 4. It's the people that, 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 have, that their faith is growing. They're, they're, they're enduring. Their love is growing. These are the people. They've got the ticket. It, look at their life. It, they've believed in Jesus Christ. And we've seen that also in verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. These are the ones who have truly believed. This is the difference. That's who these people are. And I just want to, want, want to pause and just say that... that are you telling, I just want to ask this, are, are you speaking to other people about the Lord? They need it. Amen? We all did and they do. I had an amazing experience this week. I, I, I missed a phone call and someone left a message on the, on the phone call. And then I was having trouble getting it back and on. So Jay, where's Jay Reinhardt? I know I saw him. He's in here somewhere. Jay and I were monkeying around with the phone trying to get the, the message to replay. And as it replayed, there, there were tears in the room of us listening to this. This guy said, hey, Cliff, and, and believe me, I'm not in any way, this is not bragging, this is all glory to God. Amen? <laughs> you know me well enough to know that I don't deserve any of that. He gets the glory. He says, hey, Cliff, this is a voice from your past. I'm like, you know, he says, I just want to tell you, how inspirational you were and what your example and what you meant to me. He says, he said, we wrestled together on the WVU wrestling team. So, this is 40 years ago. Yes, I said 40. Yeah, I said. 
my knee. Yes. We actually talked. When I got him later, we talked about our knees. Yeah, but told me his name. I had, I had tried my best to live as a Christian in front of all these guys on the team. And I had shared the gospel with him. And nothing happened. But something did happen. He heard. It was inside of him. And God chose to work in him. And he told me his story. And five years later, he came to Christ. And he, and he was saying, God had used you. That, he used you. That was a key part of all of this. And he said, you know what? I know I'm going to talk to you and see you in heaven. But I thought, let me call him. Let me try to find him before we get to heaven. And let him know. Friends, you don't know what your example combined with your words. You got to do them both. You can't, you can't talk the gospel and not live it. But you can't live it without talking it either. When you get the chance, you got to explain what that means and how God is going to use it. Amen? So who are those who are going to be relieved? Those who have truly believed in Jesus Christ. When will this blessing take place? This relief? Well, there it is in verse 10 again. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. When he comes, that's, that's, what's, what's going to, that's when all this happens. What? What will this blessing be? Well, again, look at verse 7. I like this. It says, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted. To grant relief. That word relief is very, very interesting in the original, in, in the Greek there. Uh, that, that word originally, it signified the slackening of the bowstring. So when you have your bow, and I used, to, I used to use a bow and arrow, you know, you have to, there's a trap, there's a thing you put around your ankle so you can put it in there, and you step through, and then you have to bend the bow. You have to bend it. I didn't use those fancy bows with all them contraptions and pulleys. I did it the hard, old way. So then you have to push it real hard to bend the bow down so that you, you've got it the strings on the one end, and then you can get it on the other end, and then you step back through, and it, everything is tense. The bow is, is, is straining. The, the string is taut. The word he's using there is, when, is the word where you take the string off. And everything relaxes. Hallelujah. That's what God's going to do for us. We're living down here taut and strained. Or am I the only one? <laughs> and one, it's because that's the way it is. But one day, my friend, it's all going to be taken away. The pressure goes off. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the idea of the word relief. And then in verse 10, there's something very interesting. It's the word in. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. He's going to be glorified in his saints. Not, not, not just by his saints or through his saints, but in, in his saints. Ah, oh, this is so very interesting. It reminds me of Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for him. Who will, who, listen, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Jesus Christ comes back, and although we don't know all the details, by his power, 
and just perhaps just in the moment of seeing him we are transformed and our bodies become like his we we are changed not like his in terms of being coming divine no 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 we're still creatures but now we are as the theologians call it glorified his glory is in us somehow uh, one guy was saying it this way it's not so much like a mirror there we are Jesus comes back and we're like a big mirror so that his glory bounces off of us and he's glorified no no it's more like a filament a filament or a, a, a um, ah, I forgot the, the the word but you know the electric thing in the light bulb where the power goes through it and it changes and it shines you got the difference we are going to be changed our capacity to perceive God will change. No longer held back by our sinful flesh. We will be shining in some, some way. His glory in us and we beholding Him. In 1 John, the Apostle John talked about it in chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. He'll come and we'll be, we'll be radically transformed. And then in verse 10 too. And he says, and we will be, we will, to be, he says, marveled at among all those who have believed. Marveled at. I just remember, listen to 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. My, our one daughter married into a Montana family. Yes! And so I had, we, all of a sudden we got this gateway into Montana. And the first time we went out to visit them, uh, that family, you know, the family, I don't care if my daughter's there or not, I'm going to visit. I got a family in, I got family in Montana. So I'm over there, we're over there and they took us in to Glacier National Park up in there in those mountains and I thought, oh, I'm coming back. The next summer we went back and we spent about a week in there. And the first day, we left our family's home early to get in and get to a place called Logan's Pass. It's the, the road that goes all the way through the park. It's the highest spot. And there's only so many parking places. So we left in the dark to get there so that we could get a parking place. We got it. It sucked in. This, the clouds are still there. We're in the clouds up in the mountains. And we know by the trail that there's, we're supposed to go up here and there's an alpine lake up there somewhere. And so we start hiking. We're just hiking along and climbing, climbing. My, my wife has a slightly different story. Her, her story sounds a little bit more like we were on a death march. But, <laughs> but I wasn't. I was but I couldn't see anything. You're in the cloudy, in the fog. And we're going along and climbing, climbing, climbing and going. And you, I could see the wildflowers. There's just fantastic wildflowers on either side. But you can only see about 10 yards on either side. Couldn't see anything. It's like, when is this cloud going to break? We went, 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 kind of got over the saddle. And this cloud started moving. And whoa, up there was this gorgeous mountain just right above us and then we got through and then the cloud broke off and we ate lunch sitting on a big boulder looking down this gorgeous alpine lake with mountains all around and snow still in pockets and they don't call it glacier national park for nothing there's and then we come back on the way back there are these um 
the um, mountain goats. Yeah, and there was also bighorn sheep. Anyway, but there was all this stuff going on. And then we got to the place and started going down where we came up. Only there was no cloud. And I came around and I went... And then I went, look at this. Look at this. It just stretched out down. And the whole, the whole cleared mountainside was full of every color of, of a wildflower you could think of. And it went down into this. The mountains were over here and the snow and the rocks. It just went on forever. I was like, look at this. And then we go another 25 yards. You turn and get another angle. And, the, and there was a, a mountain stream coming. I mean, look at this. And I just went, look at this. Becky's like, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm like, look at this. And I went, I went on and I just, I couldn't believe it. And then there were mountain goats up here and little pikas and little animals here. And I don't know if people thought I worked for the park because people were coming up and I'm like, hey man, there's 12 bighorn sheep. They're up here. You turn here. Mountain goats are up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going to do this. And I don't know if I said this or not, but I felt like, and by the way, look at this. I said, look at this all the way down. My friends, this is just a little taste that when Jesus Christ comes back, the one who shed his blood, the one who died for us, the one who loves us as the Father loved him, and we see him, we're going to be in this great throng, and somewhere you're going to hear a little voice go, Look at this! And you're going to know, Hey, Cliff made it! He had a ticket. I don't think... There's his friends. We're going to see him. That's it. We're going to see him. And Paul's saying, look, as difficult as life gets for you, this is for you. This is what he's saying. Why he's saying it to the Thessalonians. All of you. All the believers. That's what we're going to have there. So keep enduring by the help of the Holy Spirit. For this is what awaits us all. Keep going. God is just. The cloud will lift one day. The relief will come. And forget forever we will be together breathing the glory of heaven and marveling at our Savior. Father, we thank and bless you. We thank you, Father, for how good you are to us. And we thank you, O Lord, for your great grace and love. And we ask, O Father, O Father, you keep us true. Keep us walking with you. And then, O Lord, we have to say, we want to say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.